welcome to the Festival of Inclusion. Hi everyone, my name is Kate Atkinson and I'm the Interim Director of Service Development and Improvement here at East Lanks Hospitals Trust. So welcome to the third of our five podcasts where we are releasing this week as we celebrate our Festival of Inclusion at the Trust. I can't believe that we're halfway through the week already. This week we have been celebrating our Festival of Inclusion, which we host every year, and this week colleagues are invited to take part in a wide range of in-person events and activities that celebrate our uniqueness, but also what we have in common. I've attended a couple of the keynote speaker virtual discussions, and so far it's been really great to see colleagues coming together to promote diversity and inclusion at the Trust. As a member of our mental health network, I'm excited to host this podcast today, looking at, our men at the mental health of our colleagues, community and population, and what we can do as a trust to better promote positive well-being, especially during the high pressure times that we're currently seeing. The mental health of our colleagues and community is extremely important. And what I want to do today is unpick this taboo subject, discuss our journeys and experiences, and also look at what you can do to recognise triggers and signs and perhaps help someone who is in need. And I want to start by introducing uh, my fabulous colleagues who have agreed to uh, join me today. So I'm Jane Wilkinson. I'm a senior HR business partner within the Trust uh, and I'm also the chair of the Mental Health Network. Hi, I'm Emma Watson. I'm divisional lead pharmacist for surgery and family care. Hi everyone, I'm Julie Molyneux and I'm the Interim Chief Nurse here at the Trust. So guys, let's get going because I'm sure that we're going to have a lot to talk about. So Jane, shall I start with you? It would be really good, I think, if you could just explain to everyone the purpose of our mental health network and what we've achieved so far in terms of creating a community for change. Okay, so the, the mental health health network itself kind of developed the aims for the network. They included raising awareness of mental health so people understand the signs of mental health when it's deteriorating and the types of issues that people are, are dealing with. Reducing the stigma surrounding mental health was also one of the key aims of the group. So that understanding, getting the conversation going about mental health, make talking about mental health and well-being part of everyday conversations, but also raising awareness of the support that's available. So as a, as a trust, we're, we're really lucky we have a, a whole raft of support mechanisms available, um, but it's making sure people are where they are and how they can access them. So they were the sort of key aims of the, the network when, we, when it was set up and what the group wanted to start to achieve. In terms of what we've achieved so far, so we started out as COVID started out really. So we, we, we had a we had a few hiccups along the way. We started a, a This Is Me campaign where people start talking about their, their mental health journey to start some of that raising awareness and reducing the stigma. We also have developed, helped input into the mental health and wellbeing policy for the trust. So we have a new policy that kind of outlines what the trust's commitment is towards supporting mental health within the organisation. But we also with that developed a mental health toolkit, which again will help some of that uh, raising awareness of the different types of mental health conditions that there are and how to spot the signs of it and again where to go to support. So that's kind of printed out across the trust as well as available electronically that people can pick up and have a look at. Just kind of increase their knowledge about mental health 
because I think it is one of those taboo subjects and one of those subjects that, that people are afraid to ask about, unfortunately. So it, it just kind of starts some of that initial awareness. And the other thing that we produced was some guidance on reasonable adjustments for managers and for staff. So how we can help adjust the workplace and help be flexible around people that are, that are struggling with their mental health and what we can do to put support in place. I think, um, you know, given the fact that the network obviously started during COVID, I think they ha we have sort of managed to achieve quite a lot, haven't we? And actually, um, the timing of sort of establishing the network is probably perfect in terms of the impact of COVID on people's mental health. Absolutely. And I think some of the just getting together and some of the, the people that within the network and just being able to talk about mental health has been really good. I think probably it'd be good at this point then to talk about, I suppose, either the motivations in terms of why we joined the network, but also to potentially share some of our experiences of our own mental health journeys. Uh, as you say, sometimes it can be a taboo um, sort of subject and it is, you know, sometimes difficult for people to want to talk about mental health. But I do think the pandemic probably has sort of paved the way to some those discussions so I'm more than happy to start before others sort of chip in so I participated in the this is me campaign uh, a couple of years ago um, and shared my mental health journey so probably about four or five years ago I started to struggle with anxiety for the first time um, I didn't actually recognize that it was anxiety um, I just thought that I was sort of super stressed in terms of uh, workload and I think it was a quite a difficult time in terms of being really busy at work but also sort of struggling with sort of a young family and that work-life sort of balance and sort of had a series of illnesses really uh, sort of physical illnesses but actually there were manifestations at the beginnings of sort of some mental health sort of problems which I wasn't sort of very good at recognizing so ended up having some time off and really struggling uh, with anxiety having panic attacks and really had to sort of um, unpick and unpack why that was sort of happening so I have to say our access to some fabulous services um, available at the Trust really grateful um, to the signposting to counselling um, that I accessed at the time and through that really started to sort of think about my own health and well-being and, and, and what I needed to do to be able to sort of support myself really so as a result of that became I've become a real advocate of mindfulness it's still a practice that I, I practice sort of most days in some way shape perform and I've introduced it to my son as well getting that balance right really in terms of work and home life sleep and exercise and eating the right foods is sort of the things that have really helped me I think what's one of the things that I when I talk to people about it people say I can't believe Kate that you've ever sort of struggled from anxiety you can't sort of ever tell um, and it's not something that I think sort of is something that's that's obvious to people in terms of sort of mental health and when people sort of might be struggling so you know I have sort of tried to take a really sort of open approach to discussing some of the problems that I've had with my mental health and the fact that it is a, a sort of an ongoing journey really in terms of self-care um, and, and sort of self-compassion um, and, and having to sort of take time out for myself so I suppose that's a very quick recap of, of some of my experiences and I think as well the other thing that I would say is that having sort of struggled with anxiety myself over the last few years that's sort of the first time where I've, I've sort of 
it's really been obvious to me in terms of or more obvious to me in terms of other people's struggles you know people sort of tend to open up to me and will talk to me about some of their own health, mental health issues because I've chosen to be sort of quite open about that particularly uh, sort of with members of my my, my team and stuff so I, I do hope that sharing my mental health journey you know has has helped others as a result. It's really interesting to hear your journey as well Kate and I think you're absolutely right the more we talk about all this the more normal it becomes in general conversation both at work and at home and in the wider community so it's it's really great that you know we're having this conversation yeah so just to give some background for me so I trained as a pharmacist um, I've never been particularly academic but I've been a very hard worker I had some very hard working parents and grew up with um, an emphasis on success and the harder you work the the happier you will be and with that drove a lot of this kind of conscientious uh, people pleaser attitude and I think while it does allow you to get somewhere academically and professionally it's compounded a lot of my mental health issues and subsequent burnout so about five years ago similar to UK actually I'd really had my head down at work I was working my way up the, up the ranks so to speak and I'd been given an opportunity um, in a secondment position it was a much bigger role than what I was used to um, I had a bereavement so one of my close friends unfortunately passed away with cancer he was only 35 and I think it was that that really triggered burnout for me whatever you want to call it the GP signed me off with anxiety um, and depression associated with bereavement um, and actually it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me from a emotional well-being point of view it really enabled me to seek some proper help um, and I and I got a really good counsellor of which I still I do still see a therapist um, on a regular basis and it really is about challenging your core values what really makes you tick as a person now I am an empath and I think a lot of us are empaths which is why we work in healthcare you know we're passionate about patient care we're passionate about supporting the workforce and we're very interpersonal but I think if you're not careful and mindful around how much of yourself you give and that internal dialogue you have with yourself, it can be quite destructive for your mental health in terms of help at work. So I did um, a course just pre-pandemic, unfortunately, it was stood down when COVID hit, but it was all about mindfulness in the workplace and managing stress. Um, and that was absolutely fantastic, really helped me to just develop a toolbox of things to deal with at work. So if I was triggered, if I was having a particularly bad day anxiety-wise, I'd be able to use some of the mindfulness. And I um, also tapped into um, the spiritual centre. So David and Jasper, David Anderson's our chaplain, but he's also a qualified therapist as well. And he has Jess, Jasper, the pet therapy dog. Um, and so I've, I've continued to, to have conversations with David um, throughout my time at the Trust. Um, so I think from what I've taken away from a particularly challenging time is if you can still be authentic in yourself at work, I think that's really important. And sometimes 
your mental health can strip away at your authenticity. You feel that you've kind of got to play a role just to get through the day. And while it serves itself in some situations, I think still being able to be your authentic self is really important for, for your longevity at work. I'm just a huge advocate of having conversations like this in the workplace. So I know a lot of people who I manage within pharmacy, I really drive conversations around mental health. Um, it's you know top of the agenda in my book. I think if we can, if we can get our mental health right and obviously be able to signpost staff members to the right support and um, people do better in the workplace and people still want to be challenged they want to do well at work it's not about that it's not about removing work from them but it's around allowing that mental health narrative to continue on a day-to-day -day basis and being able to recognize when staff members are not quite right and actually taking five minutes just to go for a coffee and decompress might keep someone in work and sometimes that's all people need. So it's just about being able to recognise the symptoms that I've had, that many, many other people have had um, and, you know, support them. Uh, it's not a one size fits all. Thanks, Emma. Thank you very much for uh, your honesty in terms of sharing uh, what you've been through. A lot of that really, really resonated with me. You probably explained it a lot better than I actually. But I agree with you in terms of the, uh, the there was a bereavement sort of close close to me as well at a similar time. And I do think that whole um, thinking about your own realities and actually sort of particularly midlife can come as sort of quite a big shock and have quite a big impact on people. Julie, don't want to put you on the spot. Is there anything that you want to share? Oh, yes, please. Thanks, ladies. That was just, yeah, I'm in awe of you. I really am. Your strength and your kindness and you're willing to share. Thank you. I think I'm sat here listening and thinking and it's interesting, isn't it, that from a physical health point of view, most people would be ready to lose a little bit of weight, stop smoking maybe, not drink as much, get new glasses, go to the dentist. We recognise those physical health components of ourselves and in others actually really easily but where mental health concerned, I don't think generally we're as good at doing that both in others and in ourselves actually. I think, I like to think of mental health alongside the sort of term of mental well-being and I think really as a nation we need to get a little bit better at that and while you were you were both speaking I was thinking well you know I, I'm quite lucky I've not experienced that level of mental health that perhaps you two ladies have but actually when I look back over the years there have been episodes in my life that I haven't recognized that perhaps I was really a you know quite unwell either from a stress point of view or an anxiety point of view but didn't recognize it enough to go and get help certainly probably over 20 years ago I had a very very close family bereavement probably one of the worst bereavements that you can imagine and I didn't get any help and I remember thinking one day sat in my lounge I was looking at the corners in the room and thinking I'd like to sit in one of those corners you know, and I just moved on from that. But looking back, I probably did need some help. So I think we're at a stage really as an organisation that we're doing a hell of a lot of work to help people. And we need to keep encouraging that to recognise in others. But I think as importantly to recognise in ourselves. Another incident that I'm just thinking about is throughout the pandemic, my team invited me to go up to one of the listening sessions with David and Jasper. And I was quite touched really, I thought, oh, thank you. Thanks so much, you know, for, for asking me to come. And when I went up there, 
David said to me, are you just here to listen, Julie? Are you going to take part? And I said, oh, no, no, I'm just here to listen. And actually, they couldn't shut me up halfway through the session because, again, I didn't recognise that I needed that. I needed that time to speak and to be listened to and to support. So guess what I'm taking away from this is I need to be a bit kinder to myself. I need to recognise in myself when perhaps I do need a bit of help, even if it's just someone to talk to. And to be more mindful, really, of my teams, because I'm a bit of a mother person. I look after everyone else and sometimes forget me. I think we've all sort of started to talk about how you either recognise the triggers and signs in yourself or in other people. Uh, so it's probably, I don't know if there, anyone got any thoughts in terms of how do we recognise that either in ourselves and other people? And what's the best way to ask if someone if, if they're OK? I think certainly for me and other individuals that I have supported uh, more recently, you do tend to see, um, you know, you, you feel like you're withdrawing a little bit socially. So I think as you start to feel a little bit more anxious or you may be struggling um, mentally, yeah, I think you just kind of retreat away in. Maybe it's a subconscious way of protecting yourself, possibly. So that's certainly the first alarm bell for me um you know when i'm looking after my team or even managing my own well-being that sense of isolating yourself i think some people do then kind of cut themselves away from like social situations so you may notice that members of staff may be having lunch in the car or on their own and normally the you know life and soul within a group of people so it's about trying to bring them out of that in a in a way that's respectful and using some of the group sessions for example up in the oasis um so going to have lunch with jasper you can sit around in a in a small social group with people who you feel comfortable with and just have a chat um, and david's very good at you know getting people to explore the feelings and just generally just having a safe space really to to be heard and to listen to others as well if somebody was recognising in you and you hadn't recognised it in yourself, how would you want that initial contact, just that check in with you to make sure you're all right? Because I think that's what a lot of people struggle with. They kind of see something's wrong, but they're not sure how to say it or what to say to somebody. I mean, for me, it's creating that opportunity to have a safe one to one. Now, whether that's with somebody you manage or whether that's with a trusted colleague or friend. So within the workplace, it would be, you know, oh, let's have a quick catch up. Have you got 10 minutes for a coffee? Come on, let's just go for a wander or, you know, let's just go and do a loop of the block outside and just have some have some fresh air. How are you getting on? Tell me about how you're feeling. Um, and it opens up using those open ended questions just allows that person to to open up and to to share how they're feeling. It's a sensitive subject, isn't it? And you don't want to kind of put people off from talking by drilling them down and asking them questions. And I think what you don't want to do is kind of highlight in front of other people that, oh, you're not quite yourself or because it, it can really hit a nerve with people and they can all they can immediately feel that they're underperforming or they're being judged and then isolate themselves even more. So it's a fine line, isn't it? It's trying to find that time beyond just asking if someone's OK as you're passing them, isn't it? Because you're never going to get everyone's always going to say, yeah, I'm fine. Uh, and as you say, it's trying to find, I think, that further opportunity for that personal sort of conversation uh, and asking those open-ended questions. 
Is it worth then just quickly trying to explore, I suppose, for everyone really, in terms of what, what helps either at work or at home in terms of managing mental health? Anyone got any good mental health exercise that they regularly undertake that they want to share? I've already said that I, I, I do try, really try with my mindfulness. Uh, I've got various apps on, on my phone that I continue to subscribe to and I do listen to regularly. And actually as part of my son's bedtime routine, we have um, a mindfulness recording that we listen to every night. And actually, I, even though it's only sort of five, six minutes because he's quite young, it, 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 it's amazing how just that five, six minutes and participating in that meditation with him, even though sometimes he might be wriggling around in the bed and not really wanting to do it, but it does actually really work in terms of just taking those few minutes so my reflections are I don't think it always has to be something absolutely massive that you do it is just that conscious just taking a few minutes to sort of check in with yourself in terms of how are you feeling I'm also a massive fan of the early night I think I've become a bit of a middle-aged boy but uh, I've really really worked on my sort of sleep routine as a, as a major thing and actually by sort of relaxing before bed keeping a regular routine in terms of, of, of bedtime and wake up probably has probably made one of the biggest differences actually in terms of feeling refreshed and not trying not to burn the candle at, at both ends as it were. Exactly I think when you're not quite yourself you just need to take that time to do all the things that fill you up as a person and I think there's that tendency if you are anxious to work harder and harder and harder and burn the candle at both ends and actually it's about taking that time isn't it and for me at home it's making that time so I've got an 18 month old it's making sure that I do the bedtime routine with him because spending that half an hour with him after a busy day at work he fills me back up again you know and having playtime and you know catching up with my husband watching some telly or going for a run they're all things that nourish you and you really need to refill yourself instead of deplete yourself further and I think that's the key isn't it there's that tendency to kind of stay at work and continue on with the to-do list that never gets completed and um, check your inbox and you know and not respect your boundaries as a person. I think for me though it's back to being kind, kind to others, kind to yourself and I think sometimes we're not always kind to ourselves, we put others before ourselves and I think you're absolutely right, it's doing things for us and I think particularly as a mum sometimes, you know, as a wife, as a husband, you get home, you're tidying up, you're doing the tea, you know, you're doing some washing, you're putting things away and before you know it, it's bedtime and you've had no time for you. So I think it's really important that you do find that time for yourself, something that you enjoy doing. I quite love to read I don't get enough time to read but what I find is if I go to bed and I read it makes my mind actually active and I'm not quite able to go off to sleep I think maybe because I read on a kindle so I try not to have electronic devices before I go to bed big advocate of mindfulness I've done it for many many years now the first time I did it what's I thought you know what's all this about but actually I'm probably evangelical about it I think it's amazing and then Julie's top tip for getting to sleep and my family laugh at me because I'm always telling people this. What works for me is if I can't switch my mind off, I count back from 300 three times and to concentrate and do that, 
you can't think of anything else actually and if you go off track a bit and your mind wanders I just start again and I've never got to 300 three times it really helps me to get off to sleep. I think it's finding what's right for you. So I have a, a son that has some psychosis and so part of his is finding the thing that I can do with him to help him relax. And for, for me, that was getting him a dog and walking the dog. <laughs> and it just gives us that space to go out for a walk together in which he can talk or not, as the case may be. But it's just finding the right thing for you because everybody's different and what would work for him wouldn't work for somebody else. For me, it's, it's about giving myself time and doing something other than work that's productive. So I do painting and craft and stuff like that so I'm actually producing something positive but actually you can't think about anything else so it's yeah I think it, it's very personal but it's just finding what's right. Is it worth Jamie just uh, giving us the lowdown really in terms of as an organisation I know you've mentioned some of the things in terms of support but do you want to just outline again for us uh, you know where, where staff can go for support should they uh, feel the need or managers? Absolutely so on Ollie on in terms of the um, HR portal there's a the mental health toolkits on there so it's a resource that can be printed out so you can print it out within your departments and leave it for everybody to have a look at or it's something that's got links in that you can look at at the back of there it's got where to go for crisis support and and other resources on there so we've got the occupational health sharepoint page has a, a lot of mental health resources on there um, as does the well service website so there's resources from your sort of mindfulness apps you can download and we also have the resilience hub for trauma support as well um, as well as many other things so there are lots of resources to access first point maybe that the mental health toolkit have a look on there and that will post you to other places as well we are very lucky as a, as a trust to have so many resources open to us and in terms of sort of i suppose wider community so if there's people listening to the podcast who don't work at elht um where where do people go for help um presumably people to the gp is a first point of call quite often is it First point of call can be something like the, the GP, but not everybody likes to, to access the GP or can access the GP easily. So Mind and the Mind website is a good place to start. That's a really good place to sort of pinpoint you to either helplines that you can ring or um, email addresses that you can access. But they are a good, good place to start. So I think it just leads me now to just say, firstly, just a massive thank you uh, to you guys for sharing your stories so openly, for talking so knowledgeably um, about the work of the network. And I think we are really lucky within the trust in terms of the support that is available. I do think we're on a journey in terms of talking about mental health, but as a wider sort of public, but as an organisation. But I hope what people can take away from the podcast is that this is something that is close to our hearts as an organisation. We are really passionate about supporting everyone in terms of mental health and that we do need to be talking about it openly. The days of mental health being a taboo subject are hopefully in the past. So just a, a massive thank you. As part of the inclusion week uh, and our other sort of communication activities in the trust, there are a range of other podcasts 
um, available. Uh, you can access those by searching ELHT audio on your phone or smart speaker and that will take you um, to those podcast providers where you can access that. So thank you very much once again for listening and we hope to be able to talk to you about mental health again soon. Thank you.